Well, three weeks ago, Sabin, my wife and I, celebrated our 10-year wedding anniversary. It's great. It was really fun. And up. A part of our 10-year anniversary, I had her go on a kind of treasure hunt where I had these little clues that she had to solve, which took her to different places throughout the city. And the final one was at a little beach just outside of Deep Cove. So we got to Deep Cove. We had to walk along these windy, forested trails until we came to a wooden staircase that began to take us down towards the beach. As we walked down the staircase, a bunch of our friends, including Marissa, jumped out of the forest and started singing, All you need is love. (laughs) There's a reason that I'm not on the worship team, in case you're wondering. It was such a beautiful celebration and such a gift. And three of our friends were carrying these giant picture frames, one of which had a picture of Sabin and I from our wedding day, and these two here had oversized versions of our wedding vows. A few weeks before, Sabin had said, had asked, could we reenact, re-speak our vows over each other as a way of remembering what we had given ourselves to 10 years before. The fact that we wanted to dedicate ourselves to persevere through hardship, what it would cost us, what it would sacrifice for the sake of our marriage, but also the great benefits of being married as well. So for example, one of the benefits that I said to Sabin in my own vows was, I promise to actively love you by encouraging you to follow God in all aspects of life, remaining patient and humble when I think I'm right. You obviously get the joke here. (laughs) I often think I'm right. (laughs) And I'm not always right. And so it's a reminder for me to be patient and humble when I think I'm right. The truth is that's a great benefit for Sabin. But we need to remember these things because we want to live in a certain direction. We want to remember the cost of marriage, what we would sacrifice for one another we also want to remember that our relationship is not just about cost and sacrifice, but also about joy and life and those great benefits for one another. We're in a sermon series here at 10th called Don't Forget to Remember, where we're looking at some of the remember statements or the don't forget statements from scripture. Some of those important statements are things that we've heard before, we believe. In fact, we've possibly even practiced before. But for whatever reason, we've gotten away from them. And we need an opportunity to remember both the things that we're seeking, that we're giving up, the cost, but also the great benefits of our relationship with God. And today in Psalm 103, King David is going to be inviting us to join him in remembering the great benefits of belonging to him. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 103. I'm going to be reading this week from the ESV version, translation of the Bible, just due to some translation choices they made here that I prefer for this sermon. So you'll be different than your pew Bibles, but follow along in whatever Bible that you have. Psalm 103, 
verses one through five. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for this great invitation from King David to remember the benefits of our life with you. We thank you that the scriptures are full of these benefits. I pray that as we hone in on the benefits from Psalm 103, that these wouldn't just stay in our head, but would be felt in our hearts and in our person. It would draw us deeper to love and worship of you. Amen. Psalm 103 is a psalm of blessing. Seven times in Psalm 103, King David says, bless the Lord. In fact, three times just in the first few lines. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And what's David blessing God for or about? Well, namely, what he's going to follow up with. He's inviting us to bless the Lord as we remember all of his great benefits. The life of faith isn't just about cost and sacrifice, but it's also about great benefit to us as well. And so why does David need to invite us to remember? Well, simply because we forget, don't we? According to a large UK study, we forget over 1,400 things a year. It's a lot. Some as small as where we left our keys. And some as big as things that we've wanted to dedicate ourselves to or to give our life to, like a marriage or a friendship or a relationship, including our relationship with God. And David's inviting us to remember the benefits because we forget the benefits too. Especially in the middle of busy schedules, especially if we have conflict or tension in the middle of our relationship, we need to be reminded that this, be- this relationship is also involves benefits to one another and to ourselves. Eugene Peterson, the author of the message paraphrase of the Bible, says that this passage that we just looked at together, Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5, is really looking at two main benefits, that we are forgiven and that we are crowned. And so we want to look at these two benefits together, that because of our relationship with God, that we are forgiven by him and we are crowned by him. And so let's take a look at these together. First, Psalm 103, let's take a look beginning in verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, and who redeems your life from the pit. According to Eugene Peterson, the author that I just mentioned earlier, these three verbs that we just went through together, that short verse, that God forgives, he heals, and redeems, 
are all connected to the same idea here in Psalm 103. There are many places in the scriptures where it talks about God's physical healing for us and his desire to bring physical healing, including the gospels and Jesus himself. But here, the invitation for healing is particularly from healing spiritually of sin. So when the psalmist says that God forgives all our iniquity, that he heals all of our spiritual diseases, and God also redeems our life from the pit, it's pointing to this one idea that can be summarized by that first verb, that God forgives our iniquity. And iniquity is this Hebrew word, avon. And avon literally means for something that is intended to be level or straight, to be bent or twisted. It's the same word in Lamentations 3, where the author, the writer of Lamentations, talks about a road that has become bent and crooked. And the idea for us and for our forgiveness that the psalmist is inviting us into is twofold. First, we are designed to live in right relationship with God, with one another, and even God's good world. And when we break that right relationship and the standard of which we're supposed to live with one another, when we bend that, that's one sense of a bone. That we've bent the way that we're supposed to live in right relationship and act towards one another. Let me give you an example. Maybe Sharon comes into my office. I supervise Sharon. We're meeting together and I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I'm worried about a number of other things. And we're talking with Sharon and I respond too quickly and way too harshly towards Sharon. Maybe even say something that I didn't intend in a particular way, but I can see in her face, it's been taken deeply and personally. That I've broken the right relationship and the way that the standard of which I'm supposed to act and interact towards Sharon. That's in one sense a bone, that breaking, that bending of our right relationship. But there's another sense of that as well. As I look at Sharon and see the ways that I've hurt her, I feel a deep sense of guilt and pain on myself too. A real sense of heaviness. And that sense of heaviness that I feel on myself and that sense of spiritual and personal weight that I feel that is a bone as well. That I am bent under the weight of my own guilt and sin and shame when I break that right relationship between Sharon, between God, or something else as well. Another example would be, have you ever cheated on an exam before? Don't put up your hand, I'm not asking, <laughs> hypothetical. If you've ever cheated on an exam before, maybe you know that sense of feeling when you break that right sense of how you're supposed to approach the exam honorably and without cheating. So there's that one sense of vote when you break how you're supposed to approach your exam, but also that deep sense of guilt and weight during the exam or after the exam, knowing that you've cheated. That's a vote too, that deep sense of guilt and weight that we feel when we don't live in right relationship towards other people or other things. That is a bone. And one of the great benefits that King David is inviting us to see is that we don't have to live with that deep sense of weight and shame. Another way of looking at a bone as well is a little bit 
like a hiking bag. I know some of you like to hike. We've talked about it before. And Sabit and I love to hike as well. For going for a hike together, typically I like to carry our gear myself, or as much of it as I possibly can carry on my back. And so if we're going for a shorter hike together, I might just take maybe the water that we need, maybe a few snacks, and maybe a light jacket in case the weather changes. And my bag just has a few things in it. It'll be pretty light, won't it? And I'll be able to, during the hike, stand fairly straight up due to the, the light weight that I carry on my back. And yet, if we're going out for a longer hike together, maybe for the, the whole day or overnight, I'll carry some emergency equipment, carry spare clothes for the two of us. And if we're going overnight, I'll carry anything that we need, maybe a tent or a sleeping bag. Then I'll buckle that up. And again, put it back on my back. And now my bag is filled with more weight, more burdens. And as I feel the sense of weight on my back, I too am bent under that weight. That's that sense of a bone, isn't it? That when we wrong somebody, it often isn't just taken off of our backs right away. But we can pack our bags with that sense of burden over and over again. And we need somewhere or something to go with those burdens, don't we? Otherwise, they begin to weigh heavily upon us and begin to pull us down. Not that sense of physical posture like when we're actually hiking, but that sense of spiritual and personal weight as we know that we have wronged others and broken, bent our relationship with them. I'm currently reading the book, The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan, one of the most read books in the English language. And the book is set in a dream about a young man named Christian. It's an allegory of the Christian life. And in the book, Christian from very early on carries this deep burden on his back, this heavy burden on his back, symbolized by a pack, by a bag, which he carries around with him. And from early on in the book, he's looking to offload what he calls this great burden off of his back. And again and again and again, he seeks to offload this burden and is continually turned away. He doesn't find a place where the pack can be offloaded. Until he comes to a hill where he sees a cross. And then we're told this happens. I'd like to read a a section of the book to you. He, namely Christian, ran till he came at a place somewhat ascending, a hill. And upon that place stood a cross. And a little while below at the bottom, a sepulcher, which is a rocky cave or a cavern. So I saw in my dream that just as Christian came up with that cross, that his burden loosed off of his shoulders and fell off of his back and began to tumble. And so continued to do till it came to the mouth of the sepulcher where it fell in I saw it no more. And John Bunyan, writing through this allegory, is saying that we can all walk with that deep sense of weightiness and heaviness of the way that we treat our kids, we treat our spouses, we treat our friends. We live in broken relationship to God or even God's world. And yet when we come to the cross with humility and a desire for repentance and forgiveness, as we look upon the cross and upon Jesus, 
our burdens, our weights fall off our back. And they fall into a dark cave and are never seen again. One of the great benefits of belonging to God is that he forgives our iniquities. He, event, he forgives. He takes upon himself the weightiness that pulls us down. So we can live upright, straight, healthy, full, joyful lives. God wants to take your burden off of your back to throw it into a cave so that you'll never see it again. And maybe that's hard for you for whatever reason. Maybe that weight feels too heavy or you feel like you deserve it. Whatever it is, James, Jesus' brother, says if you're having a hard time confessing and receiving that forgiveness between you and the Lord, you can confess it to a friend or someone who you trust and they can offer God's forgiveness to you. In James 5, James, Jesus' brother, says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray to each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. That's why we have a prayer team here at 10th. So if you feel that deep sense of weight and burden and don't know who to talk to, but you long to have that relieved off of your back to receive God's forgiveness, and the lightness of forgiveness, then you can receive that either with our prayer team or with someone else. One of the great benefits of belonging to God is that he desires to heal you, to forgive you from your sin. The second benefit that we're told about in Psalm 103 comes just afterwards, starting in the second half of verse 4. That God is one who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. He satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And throughout the scriptures, a crown is a symbol of kingship and of royalty. It's the image of a new status that that belongs to and is given to a king. Perhaps some of you watched the coronation of King Charles. And when King Charles was given the crown upon his head, technically he was already the king before that. But the crown is symbolic of this new status and this new identity as the king, as belonging to the royal family and having a royal identity. We're told here in Psalm 103 that we are given a new identity as one who belongs to God and as one who God shares his identity, and his status with us. It's this image of a king stepping off of his crown to share another crown with you. So that you can not only be adopted into his family, but receive a new status and a new identity. One that you had never been given before and one that you could not have earned. Whereas for the English royal family, the monarchy... Their status is in some way deserved by their bloodline. But what David is saying here is that we are crowned with God's steadfast love and his mercy. We are given a new identity, a new crown, a new family, not because of something that we've done, not because of something that we've earned, not because of our blood, but simply because of God's steadfast love and his mercy for us. It's a gift. 
simply a gift from God. And we need this crowning. We need this new identity. We need this new sense of belonging because of the false identities that we have given to ourselves or have been given to us in the past. And the felt sense of those false identities is real, isn't it? What are some of the names that you believe about yourself? Or someone has called you? Maybe even something that you believe about yourself when you look in the mirror. When I was growing up, one of the labels that I felt was not enough. It was one of the reasons that I was so afraid of failure. It's also honestly one of the reasons I didn't like myself very much. And I don't remember anyone ever calling me not enough, certainly not my family, but I felt it and it was very real. Many years later, when I gave my life to Jesus and belonged to him, it didn't happen right away. But over time, that sense of not being enough began to be filled with a new name. Chosen. Loved. Child of God. That I knew that Christ had given his life for me willingly. And how could I not see myself through his eyes? And over time, I was able to see myself in that way. That when we are crowned by God and given a new identity, a new purpose, and a new status, some of those old names that we believed about ourselves began to be filled and replaced by the new names. Hosanna Wong is a spoken word artist. And she became well-known for a piece that she calls Have a New Name. And in the first half of this spoken word piece, she talks about some of the names that we give to ourselves or other people give to us. Some of those names could be, it was for me, not enough, failure, ugly, compromised, unworthy, unlovable, black sheep, broken, forgotten. Whatever those names are for you, they feel real, don't they? But when we belong to God and we're crowned by him and given a new identity, we are also given new names as those who belong to God. I want to play a portion of the second half of Hosanna Wong's spoken word piece, and we play this with her permission. As she speaks about some of the names that God gives to us. Can we play that together? not the name my past called me. My name is not even the name my own mirror called me. But my name, my name is the name I answer to. And I can choose today from this moment forward to answer to a new name. When I hear lonely, that's not me. When I hear disgusting, that's not me. When I hear unworthy, I don't even look over my shoulder. When I hear broken, they must. 
past have confused me. Please look elsewhere when I hear ugly, abandoned, useless, forgotten. I figure someone just has to remind them. Maybe those were my old names, but they're no longer the names that I respond to. My name is the name I've chosen to spend my days living up to. And if these other voices are not saying the same thing that the truth is, I look in my mirror and I repeat this. They have no right to be speaking to you when you stop answering to your old names. They stop having power over you. The name that my father, eternity's author, the world's creator has called me are the only names that I answer to. When I hear friend of God, that's my name. God's workmanship, that's my name. Chosen, that's my name. Love, wanted, created with a purpose, that's my name. God's temple, that's my name. God's messenger, that's my name. Free, that's my name. Child of God, you must be looking for me. Greatly loved, you must be calling for me. Brand new, that is my name. That is the name that I respond to. The enemy has no power here. Perfect love casts down fear. And perfect love has named me and you. What is your new name? What is stirring up inside of you? When you hear these words that his word, that the word has proclaimed, what do you know is the name God is calling you? Maybe it's not the name you grew up with. Maybe it's not the name your old friends associate you with. Maybe it's not the name that your whole life you were used to identifying with. But it's the name you now answer to. So when the enemy tries to get to you, it's the name you introduce yourself with. As for me, my name is forgiven. My name is free. My name is brand new. Love, wanted, child of God, created with a purpose. And it's been a pleasure. Those fake names are real, aren't they? Those false names that we feel about ourselves every time. And the truth is that when we belong to God, when we've been forgiven and crowned by him, we're given a new identity. That we no longer have to answer to the identities that other people give us. That we no longer have to try and define our worth by some of those places that we seek them, don't we? Our vocations, the titles or letters that come before or after our names, how much money we make, whether we own a house, how many followers we have. They're crowned. And here in Psalm 103, we're given five new names. You are forgiven. You are healed. You are redeemed. You are crowned and you are satisfied. Do you want to know why you're satisfied? Because you no longer have to go around trying to satisfy yourself. 
trying to find your identity, your purpose, your meaning, your satisfaction in other people and in other places. You are forgiven. You are crowned. You are children of the living God. This is why we are satisfied. And Psalm 103 is a beautiful invitation for those of us who know and belong to him. This is already given to us. We are already forgiven. The burdens can fall off of our back. We are already called his children, even though sometimes we forget. And for anyone here who's hearing about this good news for the first time, you too can be forgiven and crowned with a new identity. In John 3.16, one of the most memorized and well-known Bible passages, the gospel writer John says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. And whoever believes in God would be forgiven. Will be crowned with a new identity, a new purpose, and a new status. You are given a new name. You are forgiven. You crowned. You are loved. One author said that the opposite of forgetting is worship. So in a moment, we're going to worship God together. In fact, we're going to sing a version of the Psalm 103 as a way of remembering these great benefits together. Before we do, let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you are kind and generous. That you forgive us. And that you crown us. We thank you that we no longer have to try and satisfy ourselves in other places because you satisfy us. By this great gift of your steadfast mercy and love. So may we go and worship now with that sense that we are satisfied in you. Amen.